Hi, everybody. My name is Tom. I'm the lead pastor here at Crossroads. And as Gail mentioned, we are starting a four-week look at prayer. And when I think about this, I kind of get the... Um, well, I thought I would relate it to you this way, right? Whenever I extend an invitation to somebody, either text or email, I will say something very similar or exactly like, hey, if you are interested and available, dot, 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 go play golf, go have frozen yogurt, go get coffee, whatever, right? But interested and available, because no matter how interested somebody is in that time, if they're not available, it doesn't happen, right? So the great news for us is that the God of the universe is available to you and to me. And he wants us to make ourselves available to him. So that's the question I have for you. Are you available? And that's what we're calling this teaching series on prayer because we know from scripture that God is available to us and we want to do everything that we can to make ourselves available to him and then watch what he does in, in and, and through us. So, um, over the course of the next four weeks, we are going to take a look at kind of some of the foundational elements of prayer. We're going to try to answer some of those, um, maybe not answer is the right word, maybe respond to some of those tricky questions about prayer that you guys were so awesome and, and submitted. We're going to spend some time together figuring out how is it that we hear from God. And then we're going to finish that time up together by looking at how prayer can guard our hearts and minds. And while all of that's going on, we're going to launch our prayer pods, which I'm going to talk a little bit more about at the end. But those pods are to help us grow individually in our ability to pray and grow um, as, a, as a community as, and as, as groups. So to get us started, um, I wanted to read to you a quote from a guy by the name of Dallas Willard. He is a theologian, author, um, just all around pretty, pretty amazing guy. Philosophy, he was a philosophy professor before he passed away. Uh, this is a quote from his book, Hearing God. In this life, his, in this life with God, excuse me, his presence banishes our aloneness and makes real the meaning and full purpose of human existence. This union with God consists chiefly in a conversational relationship with God while we are consistently and deeply engaged as his friend and co-laborer in the affairs of the kingdom of the heavens. I want to talk just for a minute about this idea of life, life with God. Just last week, I was reading and praying and studying, and I had kind of this big aha moment, or sometimes I refer to them as, as kairos moments, where God broke into my life and really drew my attention to something that I was thinking about incorrectly and shifted it. And it starts, you know, over the last three, three months, we've been talking about the Old Testament and going through Genesis. And we talked a lot about um, Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. And, and God created man and woman in his image and created them to be in relationship with him. And he gave them a warning. He said, you can eat from everything, all this beautiful um, trees and vegetation and everything I've given you, except for this one tree. Do not eat from the knowledge the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The consequence for not heeding that warning, God told them was death. And sure enough, they did. They ate from that tree and they experienced a spiritual death. They were separated from God. That direct relationship that they enjoyed, that conversational relationship that they enjoyed with God was severed. And as a result, 
humanity throughout the rest of time was, um, also carries that burden, that we are on our own, we are separated from God. So the New Testament tells us that through Jesus we are offered newness of life, that in Christ we are made alive to God. Right? That's the awesome, the awesome, awesome news. And so here's where the, the aha, the kairos for me comes in. I spent much of my adult Christian life thinking that that newness of life meant that I would be better at sin management. It simply meant that I would do less bad things and I would do more good things. And part of that, you know, sometimes we might even refer to that as the pursuit of holiness, which is a good thing, which is a really good thing, but it's not the central thing. I think the newness of life, right? The newness of life means that that connection, that direct connection we had with God before Adam and Eve ate from the tree, before they decided to go their own way, that connection is restored. We once again have access to God, to his providence, to his power, to his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, his very being. And that's, that's what life with God is. And um, that life with God consists of hearing, of, of him hearing us, and of us hearing from him. And so that's what we want to we wanna focus on. And I want to make sure you guys, we all kind of walk away with this idea of Life with God must be grounded in prayer. Prayer must be grounded in a life with God. Those two things are interconnected and you cannot separate them from each other. Now, Jesus walked this earth among us as one of us, um, fully human, to show us what it means to be fully human. So as such, we're going to look at his life and his teachings to get us started on this conversation about prayer because he did it better than anyone ever has or anyone ever will. So we're going to start, pray like Jesus. If Jesus was God, why, why would Jesus pray? I want to offer you a couple suggestions to think about. The first one, I said Jesus was fully human. A very large part of his incarnation, that means Jesus becoming human, which we just celebrated at Christmas, a very large part of that is that Jesus came to show us how to be human again, to restore that image of God that was created back in the garden that has been tarnished, to restore that image and to show us what it means to be fully human. So prayer is part of being fully human. Jesus was born at a point in time in a specific place, like he existed in history. We know that. And part of his existence in history was he was born Jewish. He was born a member of the nation of Israel. And as a member of the nation of Israel, prayer was integral to everyday life, multiple times a day throughout the day. So Jesus came to show as an example, he came and he was fully human. He participated fully in the human experience. And I was almost said, but it's not, but it's, and Jesus was fully God. This is one of the great, great mysteries of our faith, that God exists co-equally, co-eternally in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And within 
sometimes referred to as the Godhead or the triune God, three, um, there is communication and relationship. So as Jesus walked this earth, he prayed to God the Father, he communicated with the Holy Spirit because he exists in relationship and he modeled that for us. One of the questions that, that came in was, um, I think this thought around why Jesus prayed, one of the questions that came in was, so if God already knows everything and he's in control of everything, why should I even pray? We look at the example that Jesus set for us. Okay, prayer is a good thing. It's part of being fully human. And the fact that Jesus was in relationship with the Father and with the Spirit, that was why he prayed, right? He prayed to keep up communication. He prayed to stay in relationship. Prayer for us is not so much about wish fulfillment or you know, need fulfillment. It's about being with God. It's about life with God. All right, move from why Jesus prayed to how did Jesus pray. Guys, this is in a little, bits and pieces of this are very listy. Um, and all, I'm not going to read all the scripture that this comes from, but this all comes out of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, um, the chronicles of Jesus' public ministry. And the links to all these verses and everything will be in my notes. So please go and check these out for yourselves during the week. But how did Jesus pray? Jesus prayed, um, he prayed for others. He prayed with others. He prayed by himself. He prayed short prayers. He prayed long prayers. He prayed from the very depths of who he was. His emotions were included in his prayer life. He didn't push his emotions aside. He didn't bury them down. They were very much a part of his communication with God the Father. And finally, he prayed in accordance with the truth of, of Scripture as he had it at that time, as we know the, the, Hebrew, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. All right. Um, that's why Jesus prayed. That's how he prayed. We're going to look now at Jesus' teaching on prayer, how he wants us to pray. And the, this comes in a, in a couple of different forms, right? It comes in direct teaching, and it comes in some of his parables. Jesus wants us to, um, to pray persistently, right? To not give up. I think it's Luke 18.1 where, where Jesus says to... Um, to take heart and not give up praying, right? And he goes on to tell a parable of, of a woman who was seeking justice from a, a, an authority figure, and she would not relent. She just kept going and going and going and going and asking and asking and asking. And that's how Jesus wants us to approach God the Father in prayer persistently. We also um, learn of a, a, through another parable that a man... Um, received a visitor in the middle of the night. Guy's, guy shows up unannounced, and the host has nothing to offer him. He runs to his neighbor, knocks on the neighbor's door in the middle of the night, says, I have company unexpectedly. I need, I need to be able to, to show them some hospitality. And he keeps asking, keeps asking, keeps asking. Jesus wants us to pray. One commentary I read said audaciously, right? Showing up at somebody's house in the middle of the night saying, hey, give me some food. I need, I need some help. It's a big ask, it's audacious. And those are the kind of prayers that Jesus wants us to pray. There, there's things in my life that I look at and I cannot figure out a, a worldly, humanly solution to them at all. 
So I have just, I've come down to just asking God for a miracle. My God, I can't do this. I can't see a way around it. I need you to do the things that only you can do. God wants us to pray God-sized prayers. Jesus also wanted to, uh, for us to know how not to pray. Matt, could you move that to the next slide for me? There we go. How not to pray. And again, uh, through direct teaching and through parable, Jesus does not want us to um, be pretentious in our prayers or, or arrogant. He, uh, he calls out the religious leaders um, aggressively and, um, and very directly because they loved to pray out in public. They loved to be heard by the people. They prayed these long, flowery prayers so that they might be heard by people. Prayer is supposed to be how we communicate with God. It's not supposed to be a show we put on for others. And I think this, this can be a, a trap um, for those of us. I think back to when I first you know, started walking with Jesus, or if we start praying out loud with other people, we hear other people pray, and we're like, oh, that sounds pretty Jesus. See, I want to pray like them. Jesus wants you to pray like you. If you have you know, a multisyllabic vocabulary, great. Talk like that with Jesus. If your vocabulary is more like C-spot run, great. That's how you should pray with Jesus. Pray like you, not like anybody else, not long and flowery, and not for the benefit of other people. You are praying to be with God, life with God. Um, he also warns us against um, comparison, right? Through, through a parable, he warns us against comparison and against arrogance. A religious leader went into a temple and he prayed his flowery prayers and he said, at least, I, you know, he said, God, thank you that I'm not like this tax collector back here. I'm, you know, I'm much better than him. We're not supposed to set ourselves up against other people. That doesn't do anything. That doesn't elevate our prayers any. That does not... Um, make them louder for God to hear them more, more effectively. If anything, it sets us up against, against God. So not, not pretentiously, um, not arrogantly, and, and not in comparison. Jesus also taught some specific things to pray. And this is, of all of these areas, I think this might be the one where we really probably don't need much help. We can think of plenty of things that we need to talk to God about. But I think it's really interesting to note the specific things that Jesus did call out. And almost the, the order, too, is I, I, I find interesting. The very first thing that we read that Jesus tells us to pray for, pray for those people who persecute you. To pray for those people who might make fun of you for your faith or who might um, you know, just hold it against you that you have a faith in Jesus. We're supposed to pray for those people. We're not supposed to wish bad things upon them or anything else. We're supposed to we're supposed to pray for them. Um, he also instructs us to pray for laborers. And what he means by that is for people to go out and to bring his love, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness out into the world to people who don't yet have it and to share it with him. Uh, he, when his disciples specifically asked him, Lord, then how should we pray? He gave them what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. And it's, um, it's not very long. I said Jesus didn't pray. All his prayers weren't, weren't very long. Um, he talks about the Father. Our prayers should be worshipful. We should make much of God's name. We should shine a, a, a clear and bright light 
on, on Jesus' name, on, on God the Father's name. We should pray that God would bring the kingdom to earth through us, that we would make his kingdom a reality here and now. We should pray for the Father's forgiveness. We should pray for his forgiveness. Um, we should pray for provision and guidance and direction. All those things we're asking the Father for. And we should pray for, for strength. Some specifics, like I said, not that we need a lot of help with the specifics, but interesting the things that Jesus pointed out that we need. And the very last thing and that I want to talk about is um, what I, I don't know what else to call these. I call them prayer guarantees. And I think every question that we received asked about the parts of the gospel where Jesus said, pray like this and you'll receive what you ask. Pray like this and you know, you'll be blessed. So there's a couple of different ways, and I want to I wanna take a look at each one of them. The first one is in Matthew 18, where it says, if two of you agree on anything on earth, it will be bound in heaven. So this is actually not about prayer at all. This is Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. This is not about prayer at all. Jesus is addressing um, when there's conflict in the church or when you need to confront somebody who's sinned against you, hurt you, what have you. And he's making a reference back to Old Testament practices that required uh, a multiplicity of witnesses for you to confront somebody, for you to take a legal matter. It's not about prayer. There's no magic number that um, if you get X number of people to pray with you that forces God into movement in a specific direction. Right? There's no... This is not about prayer at all. All right, so the, the next two are, um, they're related, right? There's a, a passage where Jesus says, if you believe that you will receive this, then you'll receive it. And he also says, if you pray in my name, we'll receive what you ask for. So this brings us back full circle to the idea of life with God. I think we fall into a trap when we look at verses like this. We think about life with God we fall into a trap that life with God starts with an invitation. God, I want to invite you into my life. Yes, good, amen, absolutely, absolutely. But from there, we think that life with God means that he comes into our life and we can ask him to bless our plans, that we can ask him to bless us in doing things our way and the way we want to do them. When in reality, life with God is about trading our plans for his plans. It's about surrendering our plans to him. And this gets wrapped up in the ideas of believe and receive and pray in my name. It's not easy though, right? It's not easy. I had a conversation with a young person recently in which they said to me, if God really loved me, then he wouldn't ask me to surrender my plans to him. I get it. Okay, I, I understand. <clears throat> so let's, let's look at what those, those verses actually do mean. When we, when we pray to God, when we pray to God out of a life with God, right, we're, we are praying in alignment with him. 
right? The more time that we spend with God, the more in sync that we become with him, the more on the same wavelength, um, we become more attuned to his way of, of thinking. And as we do that, we pray in his will. That's what it means to pray in his name, right? That's what it means to, to pray in his name. And so I think that, like, conversationally, practically, it's easy for me to say stuff like that. Where it gets difficult is when we are faced, we are faced with those things that are hard, and we've been pleading with God for a long time, for a long time, and we're not, for whatever reason, it would suggest to us that we are not in alignment with God. We are not attuned to him because that he's not answering our prayers the way that we would hope or the way that you know, somebody looking on might think we would, we would hope. For all of us, and especially for me, I'm talking at myself right now, I would draw us back to the way that Jesus prayed. I left out one really important specific part of how Jesus prayed on purpose so we could talk about it now, and that's this. Jesus prayed at some level with the knowledge that his prayers might not be answered in the way that he thought they could be. Not Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? The night before he died, prayed all night long. And he knew what was in, in front of him. He knew the, the trial was coming. He knew the pain and the mockery and the humiliation and ultimately the murder and death. And he says to God, he said, may, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Meaning, if there's any other way for the eternal plan of salvation for people's relationship with God to be restored, let that happen. And he says, but not my will, your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. Jesus trusted in the Father. Even though he didn't understand the plan, he trusted in him. Right, so that's the belief part. We believe that God is who he says he is, that he's good, and that he's for us. And that when we pray in Jesus' name, we are praying in alignment with the will of God. I tried to put it into, into one sentence for us. Praying in Jesus' name and believing that he will answer our prayers means that we pray like Jesus did, in accordance with the will of God, trusting that his will is best. That's why... Prayer grounded in a life with God and a life with God grounded in prayer, those two things, they have to go together. Without knowing God's character, without knowing all of his goodness, all of his love, all of his patience, all of his kindness, without knowing that, it would be really hard to trust him with some of those big, difficult things without just spending time with him for the sake of spending time with him, it would feel like we're just shouting at the ceiling. 
Praying in Jesus' name and believing that he will answer our prayer means that we trust God, we trust him, and that it's not about even those specific requests being met. It's about our time with God and and being with him. So this whole thing starts with a relationship with God. That's God's first desire, is that you would be in a relationship with him. And we do that by asking God for his forgiveness, and we do that by committing to follow his leading and his guidance, and we ask for his provision. From there, God desires that 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 relationship be a personal, dynamic, conversational relationship. God wants to hear from us, and he wants to be heard by us that's what we're going to talk about next time is that whole um, how, we, how we hear from God. That was another big piece of the questions that you guys submitted. But how is it that we hear from God? We make sure that it's his voice that we're hearing. Re- I'm really looking forward to that conversation because I've been learning a lot over the last months and years about that and um, want to share with you some of, those, some of those things. Hey, so you guys, look. We have all of Jesus' great teaching. We have his great example. But if we don't do anything with it, then what good is it, right? We need to put it into practice. So we're going to launch something we're calling prayer pods, and that's our opportunity to do that in small groups of like three to four people. There's going to be a link popping up in the chat box, and you click on that link, and you fill out that form. There's be details in there, a little explainer video, the whole thing. But the big idea, you guys, is that we would be praying people. We would pray by ourselves. We would pray with each other. We would pray for each other. And when we do that, man, we can really make an impact in our surrounding areas and God can make an impact in us, right? As we make ourselves available to God, he makes us available to that much more. So click that link, get signed up for the prayer pods. Lots more information coming this week. It's going to be exciting. Love you guys. See you.